I got some church swag here. Anybody like church swag? Pretty nice. Pretty nice. If you'd like one of these, uh, there's a beautiful young lady here, Maria Jones. Raise your hand. They're not going to see that. You might need to stand up. There you go. Uh, and she'll be out in the foyer. If you want one of these, you can talk to her, and she's going to take up an order. Uh, we'll probably do a couple orders, so uh, no super rush. Um, but I think it's pretty nice. Excited about wearing that. We'll have some hats soon, too. So, uh, we, yeah, we've got some hat people. Today I want to talk to you about holy love, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're at. I hope you brought your Bibles to church. You get extra credit points in heaven when you bring your Bibles to church. And sometimes I might just get up here and read like Harry Potter or something, and you won't know if I'm preaching from the Bible or not, unless you have, we can put anything on the screen, couldn't we? So bring your Bibles to church. I want to um, I want to give you kind of a summary of what we've talked about so far as we've been studying First uh, Peter, um, because uh, chapter one in First Peter is actually just one in the Greek is one long run-on sentence. It would just drive your English teacher absolutely insane. Um, but the reason that Peter does that is because all these things are connected. Okay, so there's a flow of thought, and I want to remind you what that flow of thought is. Uh, Peter is an apostle, and he is one of Jesus's anointed messengers. And Jesus and Peter had a very special relationship. Uh, Peter speaks with authority. He knows Jesus very well. And he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus to this planet. And he writes to a group of Christians who lived in an area, and we're not entirely sure what all the details are, but they lived in this place, and the people around them got so sick of them that they ran them out of town. Uh, probably by force, and it was because of their faith. And so they've been scattered in these five regions in uh, Roman provinces, and now in this new, they're in this foreign area, they've lost their homes, they've lost their livelihoods, they've probably lost friends and family, and now they're in, they're in this strange place, and the people that are surrounding them in this strange place aren't treating them well. So they're being abused, they're being persecuted even in this new place, and so they're very discouraged. And uh, their, their faith is reeling. So Peter writes to encourage their faith. And the very first thing Peter says to him, he says, you are elect exiles. He, he says, you are elect. And those are two words that don't seem like they go together. But Peter says they do. Because even though you may be despised and rejected in this world, I want you to know that you are loved and accepted by God. And so you might be abused by men, but I want you to know you will be rewarded by God. And he says to him, he says, you've got a living hope. Because you are one of God's chosen children, you are one of God's chosen servants, you have a living hope, a hope that can't be killed. Because your future is secure. Your destiny is not in doubt. You've got uh, a new life. Uh, you have a living hope. You have a heavenly inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, far above the reach of any threat, and it's guarded by God's mighty power. And so you've got this destiny that nobody can do anything about. And, and so as you go through this world, you're going to experience all sorts of trials and tribulations. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience problems. But just know, no matter what your circumstances are, you can always walk through this world with hope because your future is secure. And then Peter goes on from that, and he says, now God has given you this hope for a very specific reason. He doesn't want you just to have hope for hope's sake. He wants you to turn this living hope into a holy life. 
He wants you to take this living hope, these blessings that God has given you, he wants you to turn around those blessings and bless God and bless others by a life that's separated. It looks different than anybody uh, that doesn't have God. It looks different than their kind of life because they don't have the living hope. And so you get to show them, you get to be my light in a dark world is, um, is what God has saved you for. And so the, the rest of this letter is Peter is spelling out, it's a manual for how to live a holy life in a hostile world. And so that's going to be our focus over the next however long it takes me to get through this. You guys know I can talk for a long time, and I apologize. Today, uh, what we're going we're gonna to learn, the foundational les- lesson for holy living, uh, namely this, that, uh, that holy living the foundational part of holy living is a holy love. So today we're going to talk about holy love. Let's all stand together. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to this time. We have gathered around your word. Uh, We are bowing our heads in reverence to you, Lord, because we love you and we long for more of you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to us through your word in a very clear way. Speak to us, Lord, the things that we need to hear. Empower us by the Holy Spirit to be conformed into your likeness so that we might live a holy life full of a holy love that makes our world more and more of a holy place for your glory. Lord, I pray you'll use me today. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm no better than any person in this room or any person that's watching online. And so they don't need anything from me. Lord, they need a word from you. So please, Lord, speak through me today. I'm your instrument. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I always like for you to take a moment just pray for your church family. Pray for the people in this room. There's people watching online, a lot of sickness right now. Just pray for all the sick people. A lot of people struggling with health concerns, ongoing health concerns. Pray for hearts to be healed. Minds to be healed. Take a moment and pray for our city, our county, our state, and our country. That God's will will be done in this place as it is in heaven. Take a moment and pray for yourself. Just put all your cares before the Lord. There's a lot of things you can be distracted about right now, overwhelmed by. But ask the Lord to speak to you. Tell him you're, you're ready to hear what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen.
Peter says, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Feudal ways that you inherited from your forefathers, so ways that are useless, that don't end up any place productive or good, you inherited those things, those things came naturally to you. That, that was your default setting, was feudal thinking, feudal ways. And, and Peter says you've been ransomed from that. And so one of the things that I think is important is we've, we've got two different types of love that you are being influenced by. Uh, there's a worldly love and then there's a godly love. And the, uh, I believe that the worldly, worldly love, uh, that the world is confused about love. Do you guys agree with that? I'll give you some examples. Maybe you'll know some of this. Uh, there was a man named Foreigner. Y'all remember Foreigner? One person, okay. Do you remember the song, I want to know what love is? Yeah? Can you? S- I want you to show them. They're confused. Beyonce, she has a song. She has a song, Drunk in Love. Drunk in Love. Uh, we've got Bon Jovi. Can anybody guess the Bon Jovi song? You give love a bad, yeah, some Bon Jovi fans in here. Uh, Queen, Queen sang the song, A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. There you go. So, so this is what I'm seeing, pattern. Uh, the world just can't get a grasp on love. This concept of love, there's a lot of confusion surrounding it. Um, and it's evident. It's evident because uh, we've got spouses and they can't love each other. And so our divorce rate's really high, Right? And then we've got, um, we've got mothers who don't know how to love their babies, and so abortion is really high. And we've got parents that don't know how to love their kids, and so abuse is really high. And we've got kids that don't know how to love each other, and so bullying is really high. We could go on and on and on. Uh, the world is really confused about love. The love that the world provides is oftentimes is very self-centered. It's, it's a love that is only in existence as long as it's benefiting me. And because it's only in existence as long as it's benefiting me, then it's a love that's very fleeting. Would you agree with that? And we see it in all sorts of different ways. So we shouldn't look to the world for wisdom on love. Instead, we should look to God. Because the, the love of God is the highest form of love. And it's what Peter is talking about here. He says that he was, you, you've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ like the lamb without blemish or spot. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Another way we could say that is that he foreknew or he foreordained or he predetermined that God would act in a selflessly loving way towards his people no matter what. Now, I want to tease this out a little bit because this is one of the most important things that you will ever know about God. God promised himself. He made a promise to himself before anything else, before the foundation of the world, before creation. It's just God. And he makes a promise to himself that he would unconditionally protect, provide for his people. That he would do everything necessary to save his people from any threat. From, from, from ultimate destruction, to the point that the spotless lamb agreed to shed his precious blood to ransom his people from their futile ways that lead to death. This is how committed God is to loving his people. He was made manifest, Peter says, he was made manifest 
in these last times. God left the throne room of heaven. He put on skin and bones. He lived. He died. He rose again. He went to hell and back for the sake, Peter says, of you. Now, God is the, capital T-H-E, he is the unconditional being. What that means is that God is complete in and of himself. God's existence is not conditional on anything or anyone else. God is not in need of anyone or anything. And so God manifesting himself, putting on skin and bones, leaving heaven, coming down here to earth, going all the way to hell and back, is not for his sake. God didn't need anything. God is, doesn't have a hole in his heart, and he needs us in order to complete it. He's complete in and of himself. And so what he did, he did it totally for his people's sake, for our sake. So this is what we can say about God's love. It is an unconditional love. He loves and he saves his people no matter what. There is nothing that will stop him from loving and saving his people. It's an unconditional love. So as a, a Christian, so Peter's writing to a group of Christians and they're suffering. Any of you ever suffer? Yeah, handful. God bless the rest of you. I wish I knew. When you're suffering, it's easy to ask the question, does God love me? Right? Has God abandoned me? I'm hurting. This is really hard. I'm overwhelmed. I don't see the hope at the end of the tunnel. So Peter's writing to a group of people like that. So they got to be asking the question, how can I know? Because my circumstances sure doesn't seem like I'm loved by God right now. Verse 21. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. How can Peter's audience know that they are part of this redeemed group of people that God has set his sights on and said, I'm always going to act in a redemptive way towards this group of people. I'm always going to love and I'm always going to save this group of people no matter what. They're my people and I love them unconditionally. How can Peter's audience know? Peter says, because you believe. Who through him are believers in God. For the sake of you who are believers in God. Peter is saying that only the redeemed believe. Okay, stick with me. This is very important. Peter's saying only the redeemed believe. If you weren't redeemed, you wouldn't believe. True belief, now don't, this is, true belief is not just mentally agreeing that God exists. The Bible says that even the demons do that and, and they're not redeemed, okay? True belief is faith and hope are in God. That's what Peter says. So that your faith and hope are in God. True belief, evidenced of being born again, is a changed heart and life. You've, get, you've been given a new operating system. And so this is how you can know that you're a true believer in God, and this is how you can know you're truly redeemed. You're not the same that you used to be. You had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. In some way, he manifested himself in your life and it radically changed you. Can anybody testify today and say, Jesus got a hold of me, and I am not the same? Anybody? Yeah. 
That's how you know. That's how you know. I'm a believer. Your faith is evidence that God has predetermined to love and save you no matter what. God is so determined to redeem his people that he's not going to leave anything to chance. He is so determined to redeem his people that he gives them the faith that they need to believe. So what Peter says right here, you, you, it is through him that you are believers. It is through him. I want to read to you John chapter 6, verse 37. Turn there in your Bibles if you got it. These are Jesus' words. This is going to put this in context for you. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John chapter 6, verse 44. This is key. No one, no one can come to me unless what happens? The Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, are you sometimes uncertain that God truly loves you and that he's in the process of saving you? Do you sometimes doubt your eternal destination? Do you sometimes doubt your place with God? Let me ask you a question. I need you to answer me. Have you put your faith and hope in Jesus? Yes or no? Have you put, when you pray, do you pray to Jesus? When, when you've run out of everything else, you've tried, and, and, and you don't know where else to turn, you don't know what else to do, you, you take solace in the fact that you've got a Lord and Savior that's got your back. Do, is that you? Have you put your faith and hope in Jesus? Okay, you can be sure. If you have put your faith and hope in Jesus, you can be sure that God has set his redemptive sights on you. You didn't come to God. Listen to me. God came to you. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. You didn't accept Christ. Christ grabbed hold of you, and this is what he says, I will not let anything snatch you from my hand. He didn't come all this way to leave you here. He didn't do all this work to quit on you now. God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, he loves you with an everlasting love. Therefore, he will not lose you. He will not. You are safe and you are secure in the almighty arms of our Heavenly Father. Can anybody say amen to that? Now, the reality of that, if you really grab a hold of that and you understand that God loves you with that kind of love and that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love, there is absolutely nothing that can snatch you from his hand. If that lands on you, it's gonna change you, right? You remember the story? Jesus was betrayed. He's having a meal with his friends. At some point in the meal, he takes off like his outer garment, like his nice clothes, okay? So he takes off, he's kind of like maybe in his undershirt, 
and he gets a, a pail of water and some rags. You remember this. And then he gets down and he kneels before his friends. And he's going to wash their feet. Now, the, we, don't, we don't understand this because we all wear shoes. Some of y'all got some nice shoes on. They walked around in sandaled feet, okay? They didn't have, they didn't have indoor plumbing, okay? Are you tracking with me? Okay? The feet washing was an important thing in preparation for a meal because feet were nasty. They were nasty in general, really nasty for these people. And so generally there would be a servant, you know, a, a very, uh, oftentimes a slave, and this was their responsibility to wash feet. So Jesus gets on his hands and knees, and he takes the posture of a slave to wash his disciples, his friends' feet. And they object. Peter says, no, no, no. How could I let my teacher and my Lord wash my feet? But Jesus won't take no for an answer, and he washes his feet. Could you imagine how humbling that is? And they're all just, I can just imagine this dead silence the whole time Peter, Jesus is doing this because this is the greatest man they've ever known, and he's taking this posture to serve these people, not for his sake, for theirs. He's taking this posture to make them clean, not for his sake, but for theirs. And Jesus gets done and he says, as I've done for you, go and do likewise. When you, when you really understand the degree to which God loves you, it's gonna change you into a person that loves with a different kind of love. First Peter chapter one, verse 22 having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. God the Father paid for your adoption by the blood of his precious son so that you could be a contributing part of a loving faith family. That's what Peter says right here. He has purified your soul for, for brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love. Now, in order to have a loving faith family, it requires that we love one another in an unconditional way. For a sincere brotherly love, Peter says, love one another. For a sincere brotherly love, we got to love one another. So it's, it kind of looks weird in English because you got love, love right next to each other. Love, comma, love. But in Greek, uh, it makes a lot more sense because they have four words for love. You know this, right? Uh, and the two words used here... Brotherly love is the phileo love. This is where we get our word for Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Okay, and so, so this is a familial love. This is a love that brothers and sisters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, this is the love that they have for each other. And so Jesus is saying, this is the kind of family that I'm building, a family marked by a brotherly love. Well, how do you get that brotherly love? He says, well, you gotta love one another. The word he uses there for love one another is agape. Okay, and agape is a godly love, okay? It's, it's the kind of love that God predetermined that he would love you with before the foundation of the world. And so in order for us to have the kind of family, in order for us to honor God with the love that he's given us, then he's asked us to love one another with the kind of love that he's loved us with. That's a challenge, okay? And I know it's a challenge for, for many of you because you come to me and you complain about it, Y'all don't always like each other, much less love each other. True? Okay, okay. Don't, don't say amen too hard. 
So we have a hard time understanding unconditional agape love because we equate love with a feeling. So because we equate love with a feeling, unconditional love seems out of reach for us. And so when God calls us to an agape love, to agape love one another, that seems like, God, you're asking me to do something I can't do. And partly that's true. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. But partly is we need our minds renewed and we need to understand what God means when he says that. The agape love God is calling us to is not a feeling. It is a predetermined act of the will. Let me explain that. God predetermined to act in a redemptive way towards you no matter what. He is asking you to predetermine to act in a redemptive way towards your brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what. Now that brings up another challenge. How do we define a redemptive way? Okay, if, if, if that's the thing, I'm supposed to act in a redemptive way towards my brothers and sisters in Christ, what's the redemptive way? Because I had a girlfriend one time and she refused to let me break up with her. And I said, she said, but I love you. And I said, and I love you too, like a sister. She didn't like that. And she said, that's not very Christian of you. And so we went round and round. And I still can't get rid of Erica. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> She's not here, so I can say that. It'd be the other way around, for sure. So how do we determine? Because see, there's a dilemma, right? How do we determine? Okay. Peter says that we love from a pure heart. Right before that, he says we're purified by our obedience to the truth. So this is what Peter does. He equates the pure love, the agape love, the pure heart with God's word. Agape love, this is a good definition, is doing right by others according to God's word for their sake. Doing right by others according to God's word for their sake. Now, we can mess this up in a lot of ways. We can do right by others according to my understanding for their sake. You ever done that? That lacks the truth. So I'm gonna do, do good by others according to what I think is good for their sake. So I wanna help them. They're hurting, now I wanna help them. So I'm gonna say something that's like my understanding of things just to help them. Now, as well-intentioned as that is, you could be affirming what God rejects you could be rejecting what God affirms. And so if it's just your understanding, chances are you're gonna lead somebody astray. So that's not redemptive. You can also do this wrong by doing right by others according to God's word for your own sake. How many of you know, of you know that you can help people, you can serve people in a spiteful way? Isn't that possible? You can do good to other people for the wrong reasons. That lacks the grace that you need. And so sometimes, without the grace, your help may actually be hurtful. Churches are not great at finding this balance. You see, there's a ditch on either side of this calling that God has given us. And Christian communities, they tend to drift into one of those ditches. This facility used to be owned by a Nazarene church. How many of you remember it being a Nazarene church? A handful of you. Now, I've heard stories. I'm never, I, never, I don't know anything about Nazarene Church. Maybe the dominant denomination, their beliefs, I don't know anything about it, never studied it. 
So maybe this was an outlier. But I have heard some stories from people that grew up in this church, and they are still traumatized because of what went on in this place. Uh, this was a church that was known to preach hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn, uh, no grace at all, week after week after week after week. And it has left people so damaged in their faith to the point that they have a hard time coming to church now at all, anywhere, because of their experience in the Nazarene church. What happened to the Nazarene church? Well, by the time that we came along to buy the building, there were seven people coming to the church. It died. It was dead. Now, same time, you've got churches here in this town, and, uh, you know, they'll have pride flags in their property, in their sanctuary, you know, they have, and, and they're there are parts of the Bible that they want to edit, they want to take Sharpies to, they want to rip those pages out, and they want to affirm what, what the Bible says God rejects, what God doesn't approve of, they want to affirm it. And, and they think that's redemptive, they think that's helpful because to call out sin sometimes hurts people, right? And they, we got churches, they say they want to be a safe place. And I don't know that a church should aspire to be a safe place for sin, Right? Because sin is going to lead you to hell, and so if you, you come in here and you got this sin, this known willful sin in your life that you keep holding on to, then that sin shouldn't be safe here, right? We, we should, the Bible says that the word of God is like a sword that cuts to the heart. Sometimes that's going to hurt a little bit. So we got churches that they shy away from that, and they're like, well, we just, we just want to affirm everything, right? What's happening to those churches is they're dying, the denominations that have already gone down that road 10, 15 years ago, those denominations are just barely holding on. Nobody's there. The churches that do that in this community, in 10 years, they won't be here. We'll buy their facility, okay? But here, here's the thing. Why are both of these churches failing? It's because you won't find Jesus in either one of them. Jesus is full of truth and grace, He's full of both of those things. And so as a Christian, we should be part of a faith family marked by a pure love that's full of grace and truth. We have to reflect God's heart for people. We also have to represent God's truth to people. In order to reflect God's heart and represent God's truth, we have to plant, Peter says, the imperishable seed of God's word in our heart and mind. Since you have been born again, we've become a new person, not by the perishable seed, but of the imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. So we're born again into the family of God. We're born again into a greater love through the living and abiding word of God. God's word isn't dormant. God's word isn't dead. It's a living word. It's an abiding word. It's an active word. It's an alive word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the deepest part. It fights off all the enemy's attacks. It guides us through the darkest night. Jesus says it's a firm foundation. This word, planted in your heart, will produce a harvest a hundredfold because God's word will not return void. We don't believe that. Because if we did, we would be in God's word every single day. We would be obsessed with planting the imperishable seed in our heart so that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we believed it. You see, I believe that when you put God's heart, God's word into your heart and mind, it will change you. And it will empower you to the highest form of love, 
to do right by others according to God's word for their sake. But that's a sacrificial kind of love. It costs Jesus his life. It's going to cost us something. Unfortunately, many Christians aren't willing to pay that kind of price to cultivate that kind of family. Therefore, Christian communities don't look much different than communities you're going to find in the world. And so you have people, they'll come into a church, and they'll find just as many gossips in a church as they find on Winchester, what about Facebook page? They'll come into a church, and they'll find just as many old creepy old men as they would at Planet Fitness. They'll come into a church, and they'll find many, as many arrogant, loud-mouthed know-it-alls as they do at the ball field. Just as many hateful, selfish, bitter, greedy people as they do in their workplace or in their school, or anywhere else they go in this godless world. They come here, or they come to a church full of people that are supposed to be possessed by this this unconditional love for one another, and they don't see anything different than they see out in the world. May it never be said of us. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The world's approach, Peter says, is like grass. Even the best attempt, the glory of man, the glory of flesh, is like a flower, like a weed that pops up in the field and it blooms. Eventually, it withers and it fails. And so we shouldn't follow the world's lead when it comes to how to interact with one another, especially with those in your church family. Otherwise, you'll be like Miley Cyrus and you can go and buy yourself some flowers. A handful of you get that. Let's follow the Lord's example. He loved us with an everlasting love. He's committed to do right by us no matter what. He's willing to sacrifice of himself for our sake because he's building a forever family. I wanna be part of that forever family. A church marked by sincere love for one another, a church marked by healthy families, a church marked by vibrant marriages, a church marked by true friendship. I'd love to be part of a church like that, a church that lives and loves on a higher plane. I want to be part of a community like that, but we can't program that. You understand? It's not a program. It's not. We can do events and coffee and donuts, fellowship hall, apps, emails, pathway to purpose. We can do all the things to connect you best we can, but ultimately it's you. You're the program. You opening your life up to the other people in this room. You decide I'm gonna serve the other people in this room. When I was 15, 16, when I started going to church. My sister, um, she bugged me about it. I didn't have any interest in it at all. I didn't want to go to church. Christians are weird, and I didn't want anything to do with them. So I avoided it. Uh, but she kept bugging me, and finally I said yes. I said, I'm going to go one time, and then I don't, I'm not going back one time just to please you, so you shut up about it, and then leave me alone. So I went, I went one time, and I was hooked. Kept going back. Couldn't stop. It didn't have anything to do with the sermons or the facility or the programs or the music or anything that the church itself did. It didn't have anything to do with that. It was a community. 
I found a group of people that were unlike anything that I'd ever known before. And they just did life together. They loved on each other. They accepted each other. They took care of each other. And they welcomed me. I remember after one of the first times, uh, they would always go out to Applebee's after a church service. And so this guy, he's an older teenage boy, uh, he says, hey, we're going to Applebee's. You should come. And I was like, well, I don't drive, you know. And he's like, I'll give you a ride. And I said, no, 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 I can't. I can't do it. I live way out in the country. It would be totally out. He said, I don't care. He said, I would love to do that. And I was like, but I don't really have any money. And he's like, it's no big deal. I said, I'll buy it. And so he just wouldn't take no for an answer until finally I got in his car and we started down the road. And he's like, he said, you ever heard of DC Talk? And I'm like, no, I know about a lot of other bands and I've never heard of that. And so he's trying to put this Christian CD in, in, his, Christian, in, his, uh, in his CD player. And uh, as he's doing it, he drives off the road, okay? And so we roll into a ditch, we hit a stump, and in the process of a second and a half, a word that I, I very used to use a lot just flew out in a very loud way, and I was super embarrassed, and I thought, I'm already excommunicated from this church. And so I'm apologizing the whole way to Apple. He says, don't worry about it, man. It's fine. They, uh, they had a breakfast every Thursday. It's like 7 a.m., and I live way out. And so he's like, we got breakfast on Thursday. And I said, dude, you really, every single Thursday, they would get up at like 5 o'clock and drive out to my house, pick me up, and take me to Shoney's and have breakfast. And we'd have to, I don't remember any of the devotions. You hear me? I don't remember any of that. I do not remember any program the church did. I don't remember one service. I don't remember one sermon. What do I remember? I remember how they loved me. And that's what changed my life. That's how I met Jesus. It was through their love. It's easy to do when there's 15 kids in youth group. I don't know how many people go to church here. Last Sunday we had 250 people here. Could we do it on a big scale? I don't know but I'd love to try. I really would. I just wonder, will you commit yourself to be part of a family like that? Because I read the scriptures and I just feel like that's what Jesus is asking us to do. I read the scriptures and I just, I feel like that's a big reason why he came down here to create a family like that. So I'm gonna try. And I hope you will too. Father, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to love each other. We want to have a holy love. Not, not a love like the world has a love. A love where we really take care of each other. So help us to do that. According to your word. So we want to love people the right way, in a redemptive way. So help us to care enough about each other and about you to do things in the right way for the sake of one another. 
for your good, your glory, Lord, and for the good of the city. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I just invite you to come up. If you've got any prayer concerns whatsoever, just come and kneel, and one of our prayer warriors will pray with you. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus before, never, you kind of feel far from him, I do believe that if he's knocking on the door of your heart, it's a, it's a clear sign that he wants to have a relationship with you. He's not going to leave you alone until you just surrender. So you might as well do that today. Just go ahead and give it up. And if you do, your life will never be the same. As we sing.